It's planting season, and it's not too late to make sure your crops grow up fed and happy. Regardless of your spring crop, Fed and Happy offers a variety of worm-casting solutions in liquid and solid form to supercharge your soil, your yields, and your profitability. For fast, vibrant germination and seedling growth, mix your seed with Fed and Happy's screened granular castings pre-drilling. The Fed and Happy liquid seed treat and extracts offer the ideal mix of soluble solids loaded with living beneficial biology, mycorrhizal fungi, humates, and more. The Fed and Happy small spreadable castings are ideal for fast, easy soil incorporation. The large offer long-term stability and soil growth. But you don't have to figure this out on your own. Just call 833-GO-WORMS to speak with our farm team experts for a fast turnaround on a custom solution for your needs. Fare better against pests, disease, drought, and other potential hazards this season with Fed and Happy Worm Castings. Visit FedandHappy.com for a healthy harvest and any lawn, garden, and tree care needs. Available for pickup and on-farm delivery. That's F-E-D-N-Happy.com. Or call 833-GO-WORMS. Happy planting. Welcome. You're listening to Casually Baked, the podcast. Home base for the can of curious. Thanks for tuning in. It's high time. We had a high time. Together. Together. Yes, it's high time. We had a high time. Together. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, your host and Cannabis Lifestyle Guide. We're continuing our conversation from last week, exploring traumatic brain injury and cannabinoid therapy. I love talking to scientists who understand the nuts and bolts of something, and then I like talking with someone who has personally lived it. After my discussion with Dr. Linda Klumpers, I noticed a blog penned by Ilana Frankel a gondrepreneur and content creator living on the East Coast. Her blog discussed living with TBI, so I called her up and asked Ilana to join us on the podcast. Today, we're taking a closer look at this invisible disability through Ilana's experience and how she came to choose cannabis as a treatment tool for traumatic brain injury. We also discussed the effects it had on her parenting style and how it shaped the next chapter of her professional career. The famous American computer scientist Alan Kay once said, A change in perspective is worth 80 IQ points. If you struggle with patterned thinking and clam up at the idea of change, Maybe you hate your job and you really, really want to get paid to be yourself. Please allow me to share with you the highly inspired lifestyle tools I've used to uncover my true self and to create meaningful opportunities and connections in this crazy little game of life. If easily tapping into the flow and adjusting to the perspective that serves your highest good sounds pretty damn useful. I encourage you to stay looped in on the upcoming workshop by signing the interest form at casuallybaked.com. Now, if you already have this mastered and you are teed up to get paid to be yourself in the cannabis space, 
Head right on over to whiteashgroup.com and submit your resume. White Ash Group is North America's premier choice for cannabis staffing, recruitment, and executive search. As the cannabis industry matures, hiring teams will want applicants with regulated cannabis industry experience. This, along with the continued effects of the lockdown on employment, will create an extremely competitive market for both those hiring and those looking to be hired. Employers will inevitably wade through more applications than ever before. So if you're an industry trailblazer with shrinking time and a growing business, lean on White Ash Group to provide pre-screened and vetted, top-tier talent, and custom hiring solutions so you can feel good building your dream team and work-life balance. From roots to suits in the U.S. and Canada, visit whiteashgroup.com to learn more. Tell them Joe sent you. Today, while we're talking about traumatic brain injury, I encourage you to consider a correlation while you listen to Ilana share her story. To put yourself in that experience, Consider a time when you were super-duper stoned from a really potent edible, and you were unable to communicate confidently or articulate your thoughts. There was a time I physically could not move. So think about it. Put yourself back there. You looked okay, but you would most definitely argue otherwise based on the invisible things you were struggling with internally, both physically and emotionally. Sometimes people look totally fine on the outside, but are short-circuiting on the inside. So with that in mind, smoke them if you got them, and settle in. It's time to get casually baked. I got the bottle of wine, the high dollar kind. I got the West Coast smoke, but I better just take one. Good morning, Ilana Frankel. Thank you so much for joining me for an episode of the podcast. Good morning or good afternoon for me. Thank you. Yeah, totally. So I was talking with one of my girlfriends who happens to be a scientist who studies cannabinoids in the endocannabinoid system. And a friend had messaged me about cannabis and CTE. And so I called Linda and I'm like, Linda, we need to do a podcast on traumatic brain injury and CTE. And after we finished... I found your blog. <laughs> and I just thought, how amazing is this? So I'm so happy to have you here today to give us a look at what life is like living with traumatic brain injury and what it looks like to consciously choose cannabis as an option for your healing. So thank you for being willing to share that story. Oh, you're welcome. And thank you for having me. I think I believe so much in synergy and the universe puts out what it wants to put out when it puts it out. So I'm glad we 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 lined up. Yes, totally. So let's start by reversing seven years and tell me what happened. So I seven years ago as a mother, a wife, and I had a full time job as creative director of an online retail um, home design site. Uh, did what lots of people do all the time. I went away for the weekend with some girlfriends and it was half work trip, half girlfriend trip. I sort of created a scenario where I could do both. 
And it was supposed to be a quick trip. Two nights, go down to from New York to Miami for Art Basel, as well as some uh, time to myself with my girlfriends. I rarely do that. I rarely do that because I don't like to be away from my family. I definitely don't like to be away from work. But I decided, you know what? Sounds like a plan. Let's just try it. And I flew down um, a little bit later than my girlfriends. They had already been down there, um, had sort of set up in the hotel. And when I got there, I met them. We had lunch by the pool. Um, I was covered up. I was in the shade and didn't really think too much about it. We went after swimming. We went upstairs to get ready for dinner. We had to go to a few events uh, afterwards. And we got to the restaurant. We ordered appetizers. I stood up and said, you know what? I'm not feeling too well. I'm just going to go use the ladies room. And when I opened my eyes, I was having a CAT scan. So somewhere between the table and the ladies room, and it's not still to this day, I'm not quite sure what happened. I fell. Now, whether I had a seizure, fainted, fainted seizure is unclear, but I fell. I fell backwards. I hit the back of my head, fractured my skull about four and a half inches The impact was so hard that my head then thrusted forward and I hit the front of my face and my brain uh, and I had two big black eyes and I was completely unconscious. So when I opened my eyes and I was having a CAT scan, I had the wherewithal and to this day, I don't really understand how I could even have the wherewithal to sit still, but I was laying there and I knew that there was something going on. So I stayed still. But when it came out of the CAT scan, it was very apparent to everyone around me that I was presenting like a stroke victim. My language was completely garbled. Um, I had no sense of balance. I couldn't walk. I could barely move. I had also bruised um, in my coccyx, which is quite painful. Mm -hmm. And I was unable to interact. I couldn't understand what people were saying to me. I couldn't communicate back any sort of light or sound, the best way I can describe it is my it, it, my brain short-circuited um, every time there was any kind of stimulus. So uh, the doctors ran a whole bunch of tests. I have epilepsy that runs in my family, so they tested for that. They put me on anti-seizure medication and a bunch of other medications. And it really was disorienting to say the least, but it was an extremely frightening situation to be in because I really had no idea what was happening. I just knew that I wasn't myself, both physically and mentally, and then spiritually. And, 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 wow, wow. Yeah. So how long were you there in Florida after this happened in the hospital and stuff? So my mom flew down to Miami while my husband stayed with my kids. um, And I was in the hospital for a week. They didn't want me to fly for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. Uh, They also didn't want me to drive if anything should happen. And I'd be in the middle of nowhere, no hospital and so they really wanted me. At one point, there was even some discussion about me staying in Florida for three months, um, mm-hmm. which, yeah, was was quite the shocker. Um, once it was established that I had a traumatic brain injury, that my brain was really inflamed and was really pressing against my skull, as well as the front part of my brain was bruised. I had um, also lost my sense of smell and taste. 
So mm-hmm. once all of that had been established, um, there was also some conversation about like medevacking me back to New York, which was insane. But yeah, I'd mom, like to see the price tag on that one. I know, which by the way, insurance <laughs> does not cover. Um, so my mom, and someday you'll all have to meet my mom because she's an incredible human being, and she somehow talked the the doctors into allowing me to fly back to New York. And they did say yes, eventually, if they could assure, be assured that the air marshal on the flight was trained in traumatic brain injury. And somehow my mom found us a flight uh, from Miami to New York where uh, she got approved for that. And I will say, I remember very, very little about that time in Florida. There are a couple of things I do remember. One thing I do remember is getting to the airport I was in a wheelchair. I had a giant hat on, so there would be no light. I had these big sort of glasses on, uh, like Yoko Ono style. And there were about 10 other people in wheelchairs with the exact same uh, look about them because it was obvious they had all had some sort of head injury or some sort of, you know, injury where they could not, you know, have light or stimuli. And so, but they were all in their seventies and eighties. And it was this sort of train of TBI victims trying to get from Florida to New York. <laughs> I mean, I'm smiling. I know, I that. know. It, it is a, a funny visual to think, or everybody's like, wow, that's a a lot of celebrities, maybe we need their autograph. <laughs> oh, no, that isn't even the funniest part. The, the other two things that I remember being in the hospital is when I first got there, um, they they didn't have a private room for me. Um, and so they put me in a room with an older gentleman who had Tourette's. So if you can imagine somebody with brain injury who has sh- is short-circuiting, can't have any stimuli, every 10 seconds there would be a guy yelling obscenities. (laughs) And I'm glad we're doing this live stream because I kept doing this to the nurses and no one understood what I was, what I was trying to do when I was pregnant. I had a C-section and this was the thing I used. This is the movement I used for morphine. So I just kept doing this. I was like, somebody give me morphine or give that guy morphine because I can't handle (laughs) this anymore. Um, And then the other thing I, I don't remember this, but I was told that this happened. So when I was at the restaurant, I was laying flat down on my back. Um, I was completely out of it. My girlfriend had called my sister, my mom, my sister, my husband. She was on the phone with my sister. And apparently my sister asked if I could get tested to see if I had been roofied. She was concerned I had been roofied. (laughs) And so I have no memory of this, but my girlfriend said at some point, I must have heard it, you know, in my subconscious. I sat up and said, nobody roofies a middle-aged suburban mother of two. And then I went back down. <laughs> so, I mean, there is some humor in it, you know, years later, but I finally got back to New York on this crazy flight. And uh, I went to go see neurologists. I mean, that's what one does. Um, you know, you, you go to see doctors who you think can help you. And they all said to me pretty much the same thing. They're like, you have a traumatic brain injury. Your brain is swollen. It's obviously pressing on your skull. You obviously have bruised areas that are affecting your taste and smell. You can't have any stimuli. Um, We can only tell you to bed and brain rest, which means you lay down in a room, dark, no stimulus, for as long as it takes for the swelling to go down, and then we can assess what the damage is. Meanwhile, you're like muscles are atrophying and you're 
feeling yeah, like probably my, going crazy just sitting in silence and darkness. Wow. Yeah. And I am not that type of person, as you can see. Um, I also had a full-time job. I was, um, I had about 40 people reporting to me. Um, and as I said before, I was, a, uh, I am a wife and a mother. And I remember my husband saying to the doctor, well, how long do you think this bed rest could last for? And the doctor said, it could be a year, it could be three years. And it was that moment that we all realized not only the severity of the situation, but that we were going to have to figure out a way to live while healing. Yes, yes. And nobody was giving us any recommendations. And so we had to figure it out for ourselves. So this became the time where it's like, all right, we're in homework mode. Well, this is where my husband kicks in. This is where St. Dan like definitely kicks in. He basically came to me after a day of bed rest, which by the way, I'm like literally the worst patient ever. Um, he came in and said, you know, we can't live like this. This is crazy. I'm going to do some research. And at that point, I was have always been open to alternative healing um, therapeutics. I'm a yoga teacher. I'm a meditation teacher. Um, I've practiced for years. Um, I've had acupuncture. I've had Reiki. I've had lots of different alternative therapeutics. And so I was open to it. I was also desperate. You know, I didn't want to lay in a room and not be a part of the world for a year. So with both of these things in mind, great, but I was also incapacitated. So my husband picked up the slack and he started going to homework mode and research mode. And he came back about 24 hours later and said to me, listen, I've been doing research online. I found some great research that's being done in Israel with um, soldiers who have had head injuries with IEDs and also PTSD. Don't freak out, but it includes cannabis. And, you know, it was that moment where I said, no, you know, I remember I put up my hands and was like, no, uh, you know, I've tried cannabis before and I'm already feeling stoned. Like I'm not doing this. And May I ask you real quick, how long had it been since you had experimented with cannabis? Oh, I had been a, you know, responsible, you know, adult user for years, but it was much more in terms of relaxation, uh, anti-anxiety, or just, you know, end of the week kind of thing. Yeah. And it wasn't very much, you know, and it wasn't as if I was paying attention to dosage, uh, intake method, strain, any of those things. It was just there and I did it and that was the end of it. So when you had that initial impulse of no way, not cannabis, what was the motivation for that thought? Well, because I I knew what I felt like with THC and I knew what I felt like at that point. And it was kind of the same thing. I felt completely out of it. I felt foggy. I felt un like, and I didn't want to exacerbate that feeling. Got I didn't it. understand that there could be a therapeutic value. Mm -hmm. um, I just knew that I didn't feel myself and I didn't want to take anything that would exacerbate it. Copy that. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So what he said to me that, and I put up my hands, he then said, wait a second, it's not THC, it's something else. And I was like, what else is there? And he said, it's CBD. And at that point, seven years ago in New York, a prohibition state, the idea of CBD was non-existent. And so I just sort of looked at him, you know, the crickets were chirping, it was silent. I had no idea what he was talking about. And then he started to explain to me what he had read, as well as what he had spoken to people that we knew out on the West Coast 
uh, growers, cultivators, people who we trusted and who've been in this community for a really long time. And he said, listen, I think that that this is something we need to think about. This is something that's a natural anti-inflammatory. It's a neuroprotectant. And this is something that has been shown to help and improve the healing process. So I was like, you know what? Okay. Again, I'm open to alternative therapeutics. I'm a little bit desperate. So yeah, let's try it. Um, so that's great. But then the cricket started chirping again, because here you are on the East Coast, New York State, a prohibition state. And how do you get it? And not only how do you get it? What do you get? How does it come? How does it? What is it? And so again, we reached out to our community, we reached out to our friends, we reached out to people who we trusted and knew, who'd worked with the plant for years. And they sent out the word to their friends. And we started receiving product. We started receiving everything from topicals and tinctures to uh, to vapes. And it was apparent that there was a lot of it happening, a lot of people working with the plant in this capacity. But when we received it, there was no information. There was no, I had no idea if it was hemp derived. I had no idea if it was marijuana derived. I had no idea what the dosage was. I had no idea what the difference in feeling would be from a topical or a tincture to a vape pen, to flower, nothing. I had no idea. And so then began the next level of education. What do I do with all this product? Well, yeah, because I, I mean, it? it's like you really have to be open to experimenting and being willing to just like, all right, I'm going to try this today, but I'm sure you journaled it all. You tracked everything so you could absolutely. Know and I did what, what comes, working. yeah, I did what comes sort of innately, naturally. I started low and slow. I did a little bit of something. I'd sit there, I'd say, okay, how does this make me feel? And then if it felt good, I'd do a little bit more until it didn't feel good. And then I would back, uh, back up and 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 titrate to my optimal dose. As I tried more and more product, it became apparent to me that not only were some things better than others, but it also occurred to me that some things work better at certain times of the day. It also occurred to me about dosage, how much to take and when. It also started to occur to me that when I was sleepy, what was going to allow me longer periods of sleep? When I had anxiety, what was going to sort of calm that anxiety? And when I had a chronic pain, what was helping alleviate the chronic pain? And those were the three things that kept creeping up, that anxiety, stress, the chronic pain, and uh, the sleep uh, disruption. Now, and, at the time, had your doctor given you um, recommendations or prescriptions for pharmaceuticals for each of those three things? No, not at all. So really, the doctors were very adamant about not taking anything until the swelling went down. And that bed and brain rest were really what was going to facilitate that uh, anti-inflammatory um, experience. And it might have. Um, and it could have, but a year to three years was not something I was willing to take a chance about and lose out on my life. Absolutely. It's like, let's fast track this inflammation relief. And of course, type A personality in New York. I'm like, <laughs> I got this in six weeks, you know? Um, but, you know, it wasn't six weeks, but I definitely did speed up the process and I did start to feel better a lot quicker within three months. And very, very slowly, I was able to 
get up and walk. I was able to have conversations. I was able to send an email. Although I'm sure if you ask some of my friends and colleagues to show you those emails, I'm sure they were a little wackadoodle at times. Um, <laughs> but I was able to, to really um, interact with the universe again. I was able to be a mom. I was able to interact with my kids. I was able to assure my family that I was going to be okay because there was a lot of anxiety around, is mom going to be okay? Um, and I think all of those things I attribute to me working with cannabis and finding the right experience for me and my health. I will say that while my doctors didn't prescribe anything or weren't really, well, I didn't really have a conversation with them about cannabis. It was really kind of quiet um, and, and, you know, private at that point, mm -hmm. I did turn to doctors who I knew who had been working with the plant and asking them questions and educating myself. So I had my husband, as well as people in the community for a lot of anecdotal evidence. So I did consult with people. It just wasn't on the sort of public professional level that I was used to. Yeah. And I think that's a good point to make in general, because, you know, we constantly are like, Talk to your doctor before you start a treatment like this. Make sure there's not any drug-drug interactions, things like that. But there are so many doctors that have no clue about cannabis. So when someone doesn't know about something, their first inclination is to tell you, no, don't do it. So seeking out someone who is educated, who has studied it, who knows Eastern and Western medicine is so important to get a, a true, well-rounded view of what you're doing. 100%. And I would say that anybody with the level of injury that I had, it is important to work with a healthcare provider, somebody who is educated in plant therapeutics, because, you know, with plant therapeutics, it's, it's not a standardized situation. It's not just like take a pill and you'll be okay. It's very personalized and it's a very customizable experience. And you need to find the right plant experience and therapeutics for who you are. And that's because I'm a woman. That's because I'm a certain age. That's because I have a certain tolerance level. That's because of my hormone. I mean, there are so many factors that interact, not just other drugs. There's so many other things that interact with plant therapeutics that you have to be aware of that it's important to have a conversation, a relationship with somebody who does know. Yes. And then you develop such a, a deeper knowing with yourself and your own body because you know, plant medicine really requires us to check in and, and be conscious versus, you know, just throwing back the handful of pills that you take with your water before you drink your coffee in the morning or whatever. I thought as a, as a yoga teacher and a meditation teacher, I thought I knew my body. Like I was like, yeah, I got this. But I will tell you that after working with cannabis and using cannabis and being in the industry now, my knowledge is so much deeper and so much more in tune with what's really going on. Mm -hmm. So how has yoga and meditation helped you both during that recovery process and, you know, now in your everyday life? So yoga and meditation is incredible, but what it really, both of them really does is facilitate breath work. And that's what's the most important to me is breath work. And that's the deep inhalations and exhalations of the body. That is making sure as you inhale and filling up the belly, the rib cage, the chest, you're making room, spacing out, being present, but also calming the nervous system. Breath work is the most, I mean, it is quicker than an indica. It will calm you so fast. And that is what I could never live without. 
Yeah. And it's oxygenating your blood and we need that for healing. Another thing that kind of goes hand in hand with that is your nutrition. Did your diet change when you started going through this healing process? So, so as I said, I lost my sense of taste and smell. Oh yes. So when it you. first happened, so when it first happened, I was like, you know what? This is fantastic. All I'm going to do is eat greens. Like all of those disgusting like smoothies with like <laughs> kale and spinach and everything's like, uh, no problem. I'm just going to like, I'm going to be the healthiest person. I know greens, green, greens. Well, after a couple of days of just greens, I felt horrible. I felt just depleted because I wasn't balancing my nutrition with anything else. And as soon as I introduced some fats, I was the happiest person in the world. It was fantastic. So I really was able to understand that I needed a balanced nutrition, but also what was curious to me, which I never really understood was you know, the munchies. So, you know, you get high and you're like, oh, I have the munchies, blah, blah, blah. But what happened was because I lost my sense of smell and taste, I really just lost any interest or nutrition and food just wasn't as pleasurable. And I had so much anxiety that I sort of stepped back from food and I wasn't getting the calorie intake that I needed. And the appetite excitement from the cannabis really helped me reintroduce and start to enjoy food again nice. and thus get my nutrients that I needed. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioning fat and once you introduce it back into your diet, how you felt so much better, you know, fat is brain food. And yeah. I've had my epigenetic panel done and dementia and Alzheimer's is something that's run in my family. And I was curious. I wanted to know if I had those genes so that because I'm a type A, just like you. I'm like, I'm a doer. I want to make sure I'm setting myself up for success as, you know, old Joe down the road. And one of the things that I learned was slurping up a spoonful of olive oil first thing in the morning, like feeding your brain good fat as soon as you wake up is important for brain health. So it just makes logical sense to me that, you know, you start eating avocados or whatever and you start feeling better. So sweet. CDI. So sweet. That you thought I had olive oil and avocados. <laughs> I was eating ice cream like you wouldn't believe. I love ice cream so much. And so I was like, fat? All right, bring it. I'll have the ice cream. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I, I'll tell you that I had avocado and olive oil. Sure. <laughs> well, I'm looking at this lustrous hair of yours. So yeah. Okay, sure. Yeah. Avocado and olive oil. Totally. totally. Hilarious. As someone who has what I call mermaid hair. Yeah. You have mermaid hair. I get really upset thinking about you waking up and somebody having shaved your mermaid hair. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? Well, you like, mean did my... you have to, did they cut your oh. hair to check out your, with your head? I'm like, are you thinking my husband's going to like shave my head? No, you know, it's it, the weirdest thing. All of the injuries were internal. There was no blood. There was nothing external. So the only thing they had to do was cut my, my favorite sweater. I had my favorite sweater on. They had to cut my favorite sweater open. But no, they never had to do anything to my hair. So you cracked your skull open and your skin didn't even split. That's insane to me. I know. I know. I know. Wow. I know. And two big black eyes. Like I was bruised and broken. No blood. Nothing. It was so bizarre. And that's why it was really challenging for people to understand, even the doctors, like what happened to her, you know, because there was no blood, because it wasn't a typical head injury. Um, no, they didn't have to shave it. Uh, well, thank God. 
try it out. I Although would, it probably would have, it probably would have given me a new like found like power, but no. Yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking. Yeah, you'd have like a lion's mane for real. <laughs> All I know, I know. <laughs> just the front part. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so. How has this chapter in your life changed you as a parent? When I was talking to Dr. Linda Klumpers about traumatic brain injury, I have a lot of littles and they play sports and that kind of stuff makes me nervous. And when you know things, you can't unknow them. The fact that you have two young boys, has has what you've learned about TBI changed your parenting style? It's a really good question. And it's one that I... I struggle with, I think about often, especially I have, I have two boys and one is just like, I want to go fast. I want to go now. I'll go and just jump in and do, I have another one who's a little bit more cautious and thinks a lot about it before he goes into the situation. And it's challenging. There's no doubt about it. You know, I'm pretty open with my kids about CBD and about my head injury and what has happened in their pretty knowledgeable about the plan and what's happening. So I think they understand that, that it's there as something that can help, you know, it's hard. It's hard. You know, I've got, I've got a, I've got a 13 year old who likes to ski. He races and he goes fast and I've seen him come down on a, on a stretcher. And it's a moment where you think to yourself, like, "Uh Oh, what, what are you going to do? Um, we've been very lucky. We've, I've been very grateful and it's like one day at a time. Yeah. And you know what? It's, it's skiing and there's like a season and it's short. (laughs) Well, and I, you know, I also think it's good that you just extend some grace to the fact that it's life and, you know, we have to let it play out and, you know, we can't put guardrails up everywhere for the rest of our lives. I mean, I think it's point. more about fear. I think it's more about fear. And I want to just ensure that my family doesn't grow up with fear, that they see that there's caution and there's, there's calculated risks, um, you know, and that there's this idea of think before you do. Yeah. I like that. So do you feel like there is a part of you that you knew before seven years ago that's missing or that it's like just out of reach? Do you struggle with any of those things internally? I think that the only thing that I struggle with now, I mean, I still have some residual issues. My sense of smell has not come back. So I miss smelling. I'll tell you, You, it's one of those things you don't think about um, because you don't think about it until someone says, oh, doesn't that smell good? Or, oh, that smells bad. I definitely miss smelling. But I don't, and yeah, I don't know. I don't think I miss any part of me. I think I'm a better person because of what happened to me. I think I'm a different person. Um, But I think my personality and who I am to the core in my DNA is still the same. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I do sometimes suffer from a little PTSD, I will say. There are times when I'm walking down a certain set of stairs uh, when I commuted to Manhattan uh, that I go from the the train station down to the subway. And I it's the only set of stairs I could take. (laughs) And I am very cautious because they're very steep and slippery. And I'm holding on to the rail for dear life because I'm afraid I'm going to fall. But otherwise, I think I'm pretty good. Nice. What's something new that maybe you found? 
about yourself, the new you, so to speak, that you love? You know, I think that I took this energy that I found and channeled it into a business. And I never thought I would do that. You know, I never thought I would take this concept of plant therapeutics, of the plant, of cannabis, and expand it out to other people. And that has been incredibly rewarding, incredibly humbling. Um, And I have found in myself uh, a woman who can advocate for others and who can advocate for the plant. I found somebody who is very, very community-minded and loves to be a part of the industry and is willing to do all of the hard work that it takes to be in this industry. And that strength is really fun to have now. Yeah, I like that. That feels good. So your situation fueled this entrepreneurial journey. So let's talk about that a little bit. So you're a gondrepreneur now. So what? Good Lord. You know, (laughs) it's so funny. There's so many words for it. But I feel like I feel like what ended up happening was that when I was well enough to get back to work, and I did, I started going back to my my job, you know, a couple days a week. And then when the business was sold to another business, the new company asked me to go along. It was the perfect moment for me to say, wait a second, like life is so short, life is precious. Is this what I really want to do? Is this the next step that I want to take in my evolution uh, to just get on a train and commute to another job every day? Granted, it was one that I loved with an incredible group of creative people who I love and adore, but it didn't feel like me anymore. It felt like there was a bigger plan for me. I mean, that sounds so crazy, but you know, if I felt like internally there was something bigger and different that I needed to do that needed to come out. And so it was obvious that it was going to be with the plant. It was going to be around cannabis. And I remember saying to my husband, you know, listen, I'm quitting and I'm going to start a cannabis business. And he was like, I totally hear you. This is great. I believe I saw just what you saw. He's like, but you know, it's illegal. And I, we were like in therapy. I was like, I hear you, honey, <laughs> but I'm not going to do anything that will put us in jeopardy. It's all going to be about, you know, education. He's like, I hear you. So we both went back and forth. <laughs> And we both knew that the farm bill was coming up. We both knew that there was a big chance that hemp and hemp derived um, uh, products were going to be less illegal, more legal. Um, And so until that time, I decided to take a year and really immerse myself, not only in the community and really educate myself from like soil to shelf, but really take the time to talk to women about the plant and what their relationship with the plant is. And I ended up doing these sort of focus group Tupperware parties around the country where I would go to someone's house, usually, you know, a woman in her forties, she would invite 10 of her friends and inevitably, you know, her 20 year old daughter and her 75 year old mother would come. So I had all these women in different ages and stages and we would just sit and talk. We would talk about the plant, but we would also talk about what their, current state of health looked like and what they were looking to improve. And weirdly, just like I had found with my TBI, a majority of these women talked about the three things that I had spoken about, anxiety and stress, chronic pain, and sleep disruption. 
And that's when it clicked to me that there is a solution. There is a plant-based solution to these issues, just like I had. And that was the beginning of the journey. That was the beginning of understanding how I could take this from just me and scale it to us. Is the first thing that you did was to start a publication to share these stories? No, that came later. First was just literally education. It was educating myself, talking with doctors, talking to growers, talking about all these people, then starting to educate others. And like I said, we would just sit around the table and have conversations. Inevitably, as I started meeting more people and having these conversations, they would say to me, okay, now what do you, what actually is CBD? Like, how can I see it? So I started bringing some product with me so they could test it. They could see it. They could understand it. They could see it was non um, intoxicating. And then they kept saying, well, this is great. Where can I buy it? So I would sell it. And then I would leave. I'd go back to New York and they'd be in Minnesota and I'd get a call or an email and be like, I need more. So I threw up a website. And so it became clear to me that a business model had to include three things. Access to really good vetted product where I knew the farmer, I knew the product, like I said, from soil to shelf. Then came education and then inspiration. So it was access, education, and inspiration. And the inspiration was really important at that time because, and continues to be, because it's about good design that adds good value. And it's about speaking to women of all ages and stages. And so with those three things in mind, that's where I started started the business, Indigo and Hayes. Then it was all about scaling. I come from a magazine background, so starting a magazine seemed crazy, but also like in my wheelhouse. So I approached a, a, a publisher and I said, hey, I have this crazy idea. I want to start a magazine and I want to call it women. <laughs> I mean, when I say it today, it's kind of insane. <laughs> and I want to call it Women in Read. And, you know, much to his, like, I mean, credit, he basically was like, all right, let's do an issue, throw it up there and see what happens. And I sort of double ticked. I was like, wait, what? Yes. So that's how the first issue of Women in Weed happened. And the first issue was a great success. Uh, We got incredible distribution, which was really key because one of the things that I love and both hate about the industry is that it's a big echo chamber and we all talk to each other. But I really wanted to talk to uh, women who were at the supermarket checkout who were at CBS, who were at the pharmacy. And so these were the these were the newsstands that we were on. And that really helped spread the word and that really helped women understand and read other women's stories and feel connected. If women want to access this magazine, is there a place where they can go and get on a, a list so they can get it mailed so, to them? How does that uh, work? I love how you think we're that like well put together, but so the first there's so the first two issues were sold out. Um, there's a couple of more. I think on indigoandhaze.com there are some uh, third issues still available, and then those issues were were put into a book. So uh, Simon and Schuster and Centennial Books created a book around the the first three issues, which are on, the book is on indigoandhaze.com as well as Amazon, and then a fourth issue came out, and that and that sold out. But then I stepped back. Um, there's a fifth issue out now, I think, but I stepped back after that issue, um, because I now want to take it to another scalable level. And we are in the process of in pre-production for two documentaries, short form films, so that we can really spread the word a little bit even more and get some really great storytelling happening around the plant. So what you're saying is traumatic brain injury is not holding you back. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> 
No, if anything, I have to say, if anything, it has motivated me more because I know how precious life is. I know how precious the body and the brain is now. And I want to make the most of my time because I know how precious it can be and how like it can just go like that. Oh, yes, I love it. That's very inspiring. And it's so true. Time is our most precious asset. And what we do with it, we're either wasting creating a mundane experience on this planet or we are grabbing the tiger by the tail and going for it. And I love that you're doing that, Ilana. Uh, Amen. And thank you. I love that I'm doing it too. It's exhausting, but it's so worth it. Yes. Yeah. It's probably less exhausting than being in bed with the lights out for a year. (laughs) (laughs) Different kind of exhaustion, but yes, for sure. So is there anything that I didn't ask you that you think is important to share in your story? I will say that one of the things that I really want to emphasize, particularly with a traumatic brain injury, and quite frankly, with any kind of mental health, that the body-brain connection is really important, especially when you're walking around in the world and you see people and on the outside, physically they've healed, but internally uh, they're still working on themselves. And that's what happened with me, with my TBI, you know, once my, you know, my coccyx got better, my eyes, I didn't have black and blue eyes, the swelling went down, you know, I physically started to, to, to look a lot better, but I still had a lot of internal work to do. And it was very challenging for me to explain that to people, that even though I looked fine on the outside, still inside I was short-circuiting, still I was unable to focus for long periods of time, I still don't have my sense of smell or taste. So there were certain things that um, were hard for me to express and that I think it's important for people to understand that if somebody's going through something and even though you can't see it, it needs to be validated. Absolutely. And that's just a great lesson for life in general. None of us know what other people around us are going through. We don't know what the invisible disease is in their lives, whether or not that's traumatic brain injury, PTSD, maybe they just got broken up with or asked for a divorce that morning. You know, you just don't know. And so extending grace to everyone around us every day in every way is one of the most humane things that we can do for the people walking on this planet with us. And just being a good listener, you know, there's a there's a lot to be said. I mean, I say it to my kids all the time, be a good listener, make good choices. And that's an important part of the lesson for me is the listening part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed listening to your story today. And indigoandhaze.com is where people can go to support your female-owned small business. And I'm excited to see what documentaries and what other content you put out into the world. Thank you so much. And thank you for this opportunity. It's been great speaking with you. And I'm so appreciative. Yes, absolutely. Well, you have a good day. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye, Lana. My plan is to round out this brainy conversation through the lens of an athlete living with CTE. If you or someone in your network played full contact sports and will pull back the curtain on their experience as an athlete, what it's like experiencing concussions, the side effects of CTE, and the role cannabis plays in their life. If that's your story, please DM me. You can find me on social. I'm at Casually Baked on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. 
or message me through the website at casuallybaked.com. Maybe it's not you, but it sure does sound like a friend of yours. Share this podcast episode with them. Ilana's story is a good reminder for us to go all in on life and be open to every experience that unfolds along the way. Even when things seem to go terribly, terribly wrong, being curious enough to ask, how can this work for me, can make all of the difference in the world. And remember that so much of what happens to us in this human experience is internal, nonverbal, emotional, spiritual. So whatever assumptions that we have about someone else's life or story, that shit is rarely accurate. So I hope you're inspired to show up in the moment, ready to listen and love like it's your full-time job. Together. Yes, it's and while you're still buzzing from all the high vibes, please rate and review Casually Baked the podcast on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Not only does it feed my soul, but it also feeds the algorithm gremlins so they can recommend Casually Baked to other folks looking for highly responsible cannabis content. Thank you, my friend, for doing your part to puff, puff, pass it on. Casually Baked, the podcast was created, recorded, and produced by yours truly. Editing and sound design are in the capable hands of Arnav Gupta. The podcast theme music is by my highly talented friend, Seth Walker. If you aren't familiar with Seth's music, you can find High Time on his album, Gotta Get Back, wherever you're buying your music these days. I know he didn't create High Time for me, but it sure as shit sounds like he did, right? I hope you'll tune in next time. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, it's Justin Benton, host of the Miracle Plant Podcast, where we discuss this miracle plant that goes by so many names and how it's helping people in so many extraordinary ways. So if you love this plant and you want to hear a story that tugs on those heartstrings and learn more about this plant, then head on over to the Miracle Plant Podcast. You'll be glad you did.